Jamie. And I'm Nikisha, and this is Talking Horror with Jamie. And Nikisha. Where we share our love for spooky things and talk horror through the lens of human behavior. Welcome, guys. Welcome. (laughs) And today is exciting for so many reasons because I cannot wait to hear you guys' thoughts on this, but we are talking about the 2009 American psychological horror movie, The Uninvited. Mm-hmm. What are you looking for, Anna? Is it these? Or are you looking for these? You should take them. Please, they mean nothing to me. I know, Rachel. We know everything. You caught me. Here. So this movie was directed by the Guard Brothers, and it is a remake of the 2003 South Korean horror film, A Tale of Two Sisters. It stars Emily Browning, Elizabeth Banks, Ariel Kebel, and David Strathairn. So obviously there's going to be heavy spoiler alerts. We're going to be going through everything that is this movie. And Jamie, are there any trigger warnings? Oh yeah, there's this one kind of has a, a doozy of uh, of things going on. <clears throat> so, trigger warnings for uh, suicide, for you know, violent murder, for infanticide or ch- child, ch- uh, young children murders. Um, mm. <laughs> uh, I, like kind of some assaulty, like sexual assault on the verge of, um, and. Uh, and like a lot of, you know, mental health flags, um, psychiatric hospitalization. Uh, sure. I think, is that everything? That was like a, a mouthful. <laughs> that was a mouthful. It's, it is a lot happening in this movie. So mm-hmm. yes, all of the things <laughs> will be discussed. So if those are things that make you feel uncomfortable or queasy on the inside, you might want to pass on this one. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into everything, was there anything new that you guys watched? What's happening? What's going on in your lives right now? What is new? What did we watch? Oh, what this is, is a random male noise here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, did we mention that we started Yellow Jacket? Yeah, we, we, I think we, we okay. talked about that last week. But okay. we're watching more of How, it. Are, still watching it. Still watching it. Lots <laughs> more things. Well, a lot mm-hmm. of things have come out, too, on mm-hmm. Netflix Uh the TV show "We're All Dead" or mm-hmm. oh yeah, I was yes. thinking of that other long one, the lady in the window, the, yes, behind the <laughs> curtains under the desk, <laughs> the new hiding Kristen in plain sight, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the new Kristen Bell uh, movie, yes, which I think we're probably going to hit on both of 
those sometime soon. So that'll be exciting. I'm excited to watch yeah. all of those mm-hmm. things. Um, Servant season three came out. We're still in the middle of season two. Mm. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of crazy stuff. Um, I'm in the middle of watching Batman Returns, which is pretty spooky and scary in some ways. <laughs> I love, <laughs> I love the Tim Burton Batman so much. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Uh, oh my I gosh, mean, spooky! I was about to say we. Oh, we watched the Uninvited this week. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, well, we're in it to win it. Well, Nikisha, so did you watch anything? I didn't. You know, last episode I had a doozy of things because we had a three-week layoff, and so I had the time. Mm. This week we hit the ground running with more shows than imagined. Sure. <laughs> and mm. I have not had time to watch anything but this. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes. Uh, and this was this was good for for me to watch. Uh, this is my second time watching it, actually, and we'll get into all of that after the plot summary. But let's get into the uninvited. There's so many Woo-hoo. things. I'll I'll take the reins for the plot summary on this one. I invite you to oh, to take uh, it on. <laughs> yes. Watch the plot. <laughs> all right. Let's do this. I have it two minutes. Mm-hmm. Ready? Set the plot. So we open up in a psych ward. We meet Anna, who has been put there because she committed suicide after her mother got burned in a house fire. And it's time for her to go home. And so she goes home to see her father and his new girlfriend that has moved in. And she's like, what the hell? So she runs to her sister and she's like, what has happened? Her sister is like, well, you know, this is what's happened now. And you left me. And now dad is with a new girlfriend. And so... uh, Anna's trying to just get back to her life. She's having all of these dreams about her mother coming to her, telling her that there was a murder, that her death was not an accident, that someone actually murdered her. And so Anna and her her sister Alex try to figure out what all that means. And they find all this information on the girlfriend that says that that's not even the name. It's her. She has a different name. (laughs) So... They are trying to figure out who this actual woman is. They think that she is probably someone who had killed a couple of children in her last house that she was a nurse at. And so Anna tries to go to the police while Alex is staying at the house trying to get evidence. But the girlfriend is like really sneaky and shady and apparently um, puts Alex out with a couple of uh, meds and... Then she finds Anna, puts her out as well. Anna kind of falls asleep, but then wakes up and then she sees blood everywhere. And then she's like, what's happening? She follows the blood trail. And then the blood trail leads to the trash can. And uh, you see the girlfriend is in the trash. And then Alex (gasps) comes up with a knife and she's like, we had to do what we had to do, Anna. And she was like, okay. And then the dad comes and he's like, what happened? And Anna's like, The girlfriend drugged me and Alex. And the dad's like, Alex? Alex has been dead for a year. And then... Oh, my God. That uh, was the end. Oh, yes. And then that was the end. (laughs) Wow. Yay. Anna killed Alex. I mean, sorry. (laughs) Anna killed Rachel. That's her name. The girlfriend's name is Rachel. (laughs) Fantabulous. So... 
I will just say that I saw this movie or I watched it during the pandemic and uh, for the first time, the first first shutdown for the first time. Yes. And my friend actually, Terrence, suggested it uh, because, and actually, we need to get him on the show because he's like probably our number one listener. He has watched every single, <laughs> yeah, sure, <laughs> do every single episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but he told me about this because he was like, "Oh, well, since you you know do the podcast about psychological blah blah blah, this should pro- would probably be a good one to talk about." Mm-hmm. Um, so I was in it to win it. <laughs> I was just like, "What is this? What is happening?" Uh, I'm a fan of the actors and actresses in this, and I honestly was like, "What the hell?" At the plot twist at the end, and then watching it a second time, just seeing how Alex's interactions are or are not within like the the other family members and stuff like that. It was interesting to see, but honestly, I was uh, fully invested. <laughs> <laughs> in in everything that was was happening in this going also but going back the second time I was like oh this writing is kind of bad but it was I mean it's a translation of the you know Korean uh, remake you know stuff or the Korean original movie so uh but other than that it was still just like oh yes I like I like the concept um even if it the English wasn't as executed as well as it probably would have been in watching the original uh, Korean movie, but I was a fan of it. So, what about you guys? Is your first time watching it, Jamie? No, I I cannot remember when I saw this, but it was definitely a very long time ago. I don't okay. know if I like saw this in theaters, but. I'm pretty sure I saw it like around the time that it came out. Um, and I've seen it many times since like, and I don't really, I don't know why, like maybe it was like on TV or something and I would just like tune in, but I know I've seen it a few times. Yeah. Um, and it's not for me, um, <laughs> you know, not to say that it's not for other people. And yeah. I, I'm very interested. Like I still haven't seen the, um, Korean horror, uh, a tale of two sisters, but like, that's on my list. I, I really want to see it. Um, but I also was like, Oh, is this, is this like a shot for shot situation? Do I really mm. want to like jump right into the same movie again? Um, right. but like probably better. Um, so like that, that's kind of, um, been my resistance, but, um, yeah, I like, it's like both that piece of, I, get really frustrated when (laughs) we get these like shot for shot remakes in English. And it's like, why do we have to redo this? Like just because people like don't want to read subtitles, even though the originals are like supposed to be excellent. Um, But then also, I mean, I am like, I mean, we'll get into it, but like just enraged at like, how is this young woman like, being discharged from this hospital where like Mm -hmm. she's clearly still going through something and is at risk of harming other people like that someone someone is going to something's going to happen to that psychiatrist like something not so good because like he (laughs) he done messed up so bad truly um and it I'm just like how how is all of like oh god it just frustrates me so much um, so yeah. not my favorite. <laughs> Cannot wait to get into it. I love it. We need like a whole just section of, uh, Jamie's frustrations. 
Uh, Brian, how about you? Is this your first time watching it? This is my first time ever watching it. I did not know the twist. Um, I did not Mm -hmm. guess the twist because I wasn't looking for it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting because whenever we have – now we've done like uh, quite a few of these episodes. And Mm -hmm. now whenever we're watching a movie for the podcast, like we're specifically watching it for the podcast as opposed to like, oh my gosh, I saw this awesome movie. We should do this for the podcast. I am watching it with two different eyes, not only because I have two eyes, but because I'm watching it from two (laughs) points of view. I'm watching it from like, does Brian enjoy this? Like, am I enjoying this? But also like, does this have enough to cover in terms of a perspective of mental health and human behavior? Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so from that aspect, I thought this movie was fascinating and I was really into all of that stuff. From the flip side of things... Um, I'm, I wish I had seen a better version of this plot. Hmm. Does that make sense? Like, I thought the plot was interesting, but I just wish everything was better about this, um, including the acting and the writing. So I'm a little disappointed that I just didn't watch the tale of two sisters. Um, but this one's probably more interesting to talk about because of its flaws, if that makes sense. Hmm. Um, like dig Mm -hmm. into those things. Uh, However, like during the, what was it, an hour and a half, two hours or something like that? Like, no, it's just an hour and a yeah, half. Yeah, I had a really good time watching it. I also, I love movies with unreliable narrators, and we'll get to that. I, I love it mm-hmm. so much. Like the new Moon Knight stuff coming out from uh, Marvel, like is unreliable narrator stuff, like Memento, like all of that unreliable narrator stuff is just like the best. Um, so I love that. And two, man, Jamie will tell you, and we'll talk about this because it has different meaning before the movie and after the movie. I wrote down on my notes, bad dad syndrome, where I feel Mm. like, I feel like in a lot of these movies are always parents and it always frustrates me when there are these parents that like seem awesome up front. And then there are scenes where like, why aren't you just listening to your kid? Like, what are we doing here? Right. But, it's, but right. during the movie, it's frustrating. And once you learn the twist, it's less frustrating because your whole... No, it's more frustrating. Call the doctor. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, I can't oh, hear you. Yeah, I can't hear you. Either. Because I muted myself. That was... Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought I was un- I thought I was unmuting myself. I was not um, because I was just talking. <laughs> I, I, good, at, good at podcasting. And... Um, so, uh, yeah, this movie is not my favorite. Uh, however, I'm actually very excited to talk about it more than maybe like a movie we all really loved or a movie we all just like super hated. Does that make sense? Mm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will say I didn't know that this – when I first watched this, I didn't know that it was a remake. And so mm. when in our podcasting, when I talked about it, mm-hmm. and Jamie was like, oh, it was such and such. And I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I definitely do want to watch the OG and, and see. But it definitely is, like you said, Brian, some, it's an interesting movie for this particular podcast to bring up a lot of the things that we agreed with, did not agree yeah. with, things that Jamie will debunk about psych <laughs> wards and Everything with the diagnosing of things and the the DSM five. <laughs> we'll see where she uh, lands in in all of this stuff. But let's just get into it. So let's just start off with 
things that we liked, didn't like. Uh, I know, Jamie, you had some frustrations, and then we'll get into the actual questions. But is there some things up front, in the forefront of your mind, that you're just like, yes, I need to discuss this about this movie? Um, I mean, I do think it's interesting that uh, she, that Anna is exploring her dreams with her therapist and like talking mm-hmm. through her inability to remember what happened. Um, and I think like overall we figure out she's been there for like a year, right? Yes. That's, yeah. that's the time frame, which is a very long time. I mean, I, I, I guess like my understanding of hospitalizations and things like that are mm-hmm. for the most part, it's like, acute, if there's like an acute, like, like this is like an acute trauma that happened, right? Like Mm -hmm. this, this fire happened, her mom died, um, like all very overwhelming. And then like, she has a suicide attempt. Um, but like a year seems like a really long time for her to uh, like be hospitalized. But it's, I mean, again, like she, she still is unable to remember, which I think also is common. I think we've talked about like how trauma affects the brain a few times on here and, um, that that's like very normal because of how like our brain is not always able to encode things in chronological order Mm -hmm. during a traumatic event, um, because it's like focused on keeping us alive and, you know, prioritizing other things. So, um, so that's, I thought that was a really interesting way to kind of like set the stage. And and I feel like the, the state, the stage setting is really interesting. There's just like mm-hmm. other things where I'm like, I want this to be better, but, um, but that's, that's very real. And I'm, I'm glad that they're, I'm glad that they're also like talking about the dream piece too, because like, you know, a lot of times things are happening in our subconscious. Like we might not be right. like, consciously aware of, you know, what had happened, but these nightmares might be kind of like little breadcrumbs that are helping her understand and unpack what she experienced. And, and like, it sounds like that psychiatrist is trying to help her make sense of the dreams or right. understand or remember, um, not totally clear, like which of the above, but maybe all of the above, but, um, yeah, I, I actually like appreciated some of that. Can I ask a question? Yes, maybe. I want to. Okay. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you both. Um, I let's. I want to talk about the timeline of the final, like what we learned to be the actual what happened. Okay, mm-hmm. because like I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what this movie is trying to say. So if we, do, if you don't mind, I'd like to before we get into. Jamie breaking this down and then Nikisha us asking you about some of the acting choices and things like that. I want to talk about what this movie is trying to say because I don't know the answer and both of you have seen this multiple times. So I I want to talk through this. So in reality or in the movie's reality, they're at the, they're at the lake um, kissing boys and being weird. And then (laughs) she gets freaked out for good reason because she doesn't want to have sex with this boy. Um, So she runs Mm -hmm. back to the house and her sister follows her. The mom is sick. 
Um, the, and so they moved her. She wanted to move to the boat house, essentially, um, the guest house, because it has a better view of the ocean with that kind of house, although the lake, um, with that kind of house, like every obvious window has a beautiful view of the lake. Um, (laughs) this movie want me, this movie made me want to move to a, uh, main lake town. Um, yes. Okay. So she runs back and then she catches her dad having sex with the Elizabeth Banks character. That's what kind of triggers yeah. her. So because her mom is still mm-hmm. alive um, and her dad is, quote, you know, moving on in, in a gross way. Um, mm-hmm. So they go – she goes to basically burn down – kill her by burning down the house because that's what you do. Um, and then her sister follows her. She accidentally leaves the gasoline on um, and then the, the house blows up and then she were to assume – is so guilt-ridden, feels horrible that she, um, between her dad and what she did and her sister being dead, she tries to kill herself. She's sent off to the ward. She meets Mildred whatever, Pierce or Mildred whatever her name is. Mildred Kemp. 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 Think, yeah. Mildred Pierce is from mm-hmm. something else. Um, if one of you wouldn't <laughs> mind looking that up while I'm talking, that would be great. Um, yes. Mildred Pierce. Um, Mil- Mildred Kemp. Kemp. Uh, and and then so she is in 10 months or a year of uh, – psych ward and then she gets out uh faking it basically pretending she's okay or maybe she's not okay to continue what she wanted to originally do which is kill the uh nurse the um the elizabeth banks character okay fine interesting what oh i uh, well you said something that i thought was interesting which is why i said out loud interesting (laughs) uh (laughs) the idea that she's like faking being okay to get out and like finish what she started so yeah is what you are proposing yeah so this is actually part of what i'm confused about so she gets out and she starts seeing her sister. We don't know if she sees her sister in the ward because we only see her sister outside of the ward at the house. Um, yes. So, you know, like, is she using her sister to justify her actions? Like, is she, is she having this internal fight between um, finishing what she started and just, like, being just a normal, like, not, I don't want to say that, but being just a a person with trauma that they're internally working with, but not hurting others. Um, like mm. is so worth to, it's not supernatural. We're to assume that she's having psychotic breaks of like guilt and whatever, when she sees the mom as a ghost or as, as a, that um, like as a burned corpse, like, like all of those things. So I'm just confused out of what this movie is trying to say about her mental state as it relates to what she's trying to do outside of the ward. Does, does that make yeah. sense? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I will just say I I think I agree with you, Brian, in the sense of she is using the sister as a justification for her actions, as if that is kind of the voice in the back of her head that's saying, like, this is the reason why your mom and sister are dead in the first place was because of the nurse. And so like, let's just have a deep dive into that. But it could be just like a mix of both because she is having like guilt trips and that's what's having her see her mom and, and see her sister in the first place. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, it's a combination of her mental state as well as her sister, 
you know, you hear the voices in in your in your head, and in this moment, that voice just happens to be her sister, and it's not you know something outside of that. I think I think her original intention was to kill the nurse, the Elizabeth Banks character, because she was sleeping with the father. That was the initial thought process there. But in this movie, she's creating this false narrative to that that this woman actually has killed before and now she's coming for their family, uh, kind of unrelated to, and that she, sorry, and that she killed the mother, um, unrelated to the fact that she may have been sleeping with the dad or not as prevalent as a reason. So, so like, is she changing the reason or piling on a reason to kill her as well mm-hmm. to just like up the ante? Like, why isn't the first reason good enough? Why are we adding all of these pieces to it to justify her continuing what she started? Does, so mm-hmm. does that make sense too? Yeah. Jamie? Jamie? <laughs> I I find your read super fascinating because my read is not – that she's faking it and like trying to get out. I think that she like still has all of those blocks. Like I don't, I really think that she can't remember. And maybe this is like me being super naive, but um, my read is that like, she genuinely can't remember. And, and because of that, like those, those symptoms that she's experiencing, I, I think that she's having a lot of like, psychotic related symptoms. So like hallucinations and delusions. Um, Mm. I think that they're not present when she's in the hospital for whatever reason she's getting, she's in a, as an environment where she's like getting the support that she needs. She's having regular therapy with her, with her doctor, um, potentially on medication, although we don't know. Mm. Um, and for whatever reason, like she doesn't actually remember that that's what her like plan was. And so I think that her going back to the house, I think one, the house itself is triggering. And so like that, just like returning home is already starting the process and actually seeing Elizabeth Banks. Like once she sees Elizabeth Banks, she like her body tenses up, like you see her reaction and like something is going on. And then, and she still doesn't actually see her sister yet. It's only until she leaves and goes to the docks, I think. Um, And so like, I think that that was kind of a spark that like starts to, starts to like bring back up some of these memories that she, that like her, her brain has kind of tucked away. And like the more time that she spends in the house and around Elizabeth Banks, the more she is remembering. And so Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that at the very, very end, when she has the real, when you like see her, um, looking at the, what she thinks is her sister, but then the floodlights turn on and it's her reflection. Um, that is like the point where like it has all come full circle and she like everything has been revealed to her for herself. And I think that she realizes that that's the moment that she realizes that she did what she wanted to do. I think that that part was like cut off from her, um, Mm. from, from the point that like the explosion first happened all the way to the point where at, at the very end, because it, it like wasn't, it like wasn't her parentheses quote quote. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was it was this like version. It, I mean, it was this like 
other version of her, so to speak. I mean, cause then, then it begs the question of like, you know, is this a disassociative identity disorder situation where like mm. she is embodying these altars, but she's also seeing them. So like that, that, that's, that's like a little bit more interesting. Cause I, I am, I've never worked with anybody with DID ever. Um, and like, there's so much that's, you know, in movies and, and media and things like that. So I think that the representation of DID is often, uh, not very well <laughs> explained, but yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if, um, if someone has the ability to like actually see their altar outside of them. Yeah. Uh, like physically stand and maybe they, maybe they do. And so like that might explain more of it, but I, I very like, I, I've always kind of viewed it as more of, um, like some kind of like weird mix that maybe doesn't make that much sense in reality, but like for the purpose of this movie that it's, you know, symptoms of schizophrenia and also symptoms of disassociative identity disorder. And it's all kind of like culminating yeah. Once she realizes that she in fact did the murder and then like the record is set straight in her head and now she knows that she, this is what she wanted in the first place. So did she imagine that the police chief was holding her down? Like that's all not real, that the police chief was in on it, one. And no. And two. Oh, sorry. And, <laughs> no, sorry. The police chief was in on it. And two, I'm confused. Is she, I, I love your read. I think that's that to me, you explaining it sounds like the right read, but also too, um, like the whole Mildred Kemp thing. Like, is she just pulling in things that she knows or remembers from the psych ward into a new narrative? Is that what we're saying is happening there? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly what happened. And with the first part, I don't think it's that like <clears throat> the police chief is like in on it. I think that everyone else knows that her sister is dead. And so like mm-hmm. when she goes to the police, she's like, this person's not who they really are. All of this is happening. She says we a ton. She's referencing her sister. He knows that his, her sister is dead. Mm-hmm. And so like the first person that he's going to call is, is either like her dad or Rachel. And so, right. and I think Rachel was like trying to sedate her not to do anything evil, but like she's a nurse. So like, when somebody is in this state of this like heightened crisis state, which she was multiple times, I think that she was trying to sedate her. That's, that's what they would do in the hospital. Like if she, it, like right. if somebody is having a, uh, like a, they're like in a state of crisis and, and like escalated like that, um, they'll people like the, the facilities typically will ask, like, are you able to de-escalate yourself? Like they'll check in and see if you have the ability in that moment to like bring yourself down. At least again, this was one experience that I've, uh, observed. Um, and if, if the person's like not able to do so, like then the, then the unit staff will intervene. Um, and, and you know, they can, they can offer somebody like, uh, uh, an oral pill that they can take, or they will give them a shot, which, uh, at this particular facility, somebody referred to it as booty juice. I will never forget that ever. Yeah. Because like typically you're being injected in the butt, um, okay. With the sedative and, and like, that is what they called it. And I was just like, Oh my God, I'm not, (laughs) this, this is not my life. Um, but it was, (laughs) 
No, I'm going to mute myself now. I'm going to mute myself now. Thank you very much. For real. <laughs> I, hope I, I hope I answered some questions of, of what I at least like speculate is going on in this movie. But I think that also you still have the narrative before the twist of like everyone's out to get her and like mm-hmm. what is really going on. So then like trying to make sense of it when it flips is also really confusing because you're trying to go back and be like, wait, but what was happening before when her dad was acting like this or when the cop was asking, right. uh, acting like this? Like it almost doesn't make sense, which is why like, you know, that moment that you can never get back when, once you learn the twist of a movie and you like watch it again forever. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, I, I can never see it that way ever again. Cause I have this information. That is why I like feel this particular way. Cause I'm like, Oh, I, I like get what's really going on. And that's why mm-hmm. they're all treating her this way. Do I think they're treating her the best way? Not really, but, <laughs> but that <laughs> is why I understand. That's how I come to understand it. But Nikisha, you have questions. Yeah. So I just, well, (laughs) yes, but more so of of what we're talking about as far as just dissecting her motive in a way, quote unquote. So are we to believe that when the doctor in the beginning says you can go home and finish what you started, and then at the end, when she goes back to the doctor, she's like, I finished what I started. There is some purposeful motive there. Hmm. So are we uh, to assume that that was part of her like alter ego, like in the back of her mind, like you were saying, Jamie, she realizes this is what she wanted to do. We know we, at the end, we figure out that that was her plan all along was to finish Hmm. what she started. But as you go through it, it's seeming as if because she has forgotten things and she's remembering them as triggers come about, do you think that there was still that motive in the in the back of her mind the whole time? Or how do you feel about like just that yeah. reveal? I mean, it's interesting because of the specific language that's used. So like, I don't know. But maybe there's like a part of her subconscious that like does pick up on that. And that is like yeah. why then all of these things are kind of coming up is like, he said this, he seemingly not to, not to reference hypnotic and saying particular (laughs) phrases that somehow have this very powerful effect on our psyche. But like this doctor seemingly says this, this phrase of finishing what you started. And there's like a part of her that is connected to that, but maybe Mm -hmm. it's not like the conscious part of her that's going home. And like, that's part of what's like conjuring this hallucination or, or like feeding the delusion. But I think that the delusion piece is definitely the Mildred Kemp stuff where like she's taking part of what she knows is reality. And then yeah. is also like creating her own reality in, in the context of like this relationship with Rachel. Um, but yeah, I, I, maybe there's like a part where like that phrase kind of set, set things in motion as well. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I, I still, I don't buy that she like knew it. Um, truly because like she's horrified by these things that she's seeing. Like she's like in pure terror. I, I, I would find it really hard to believe that like she knew this the whole time. Well, okay. So then that begs the question when we get to the guy friend and Mm -hmm. she lets go of him and he falls off the cliff. So obviously he knows exactly what happened and you know, this is this is kind of takes me back to uh, malignant, where you have like mm. one person who's doing one thing and then the other person who do, who is unaware, and it seems as if 
like as you're describing, like she's unaware of the things that are happening. And when she thinks that she didn't meet her guy friend on the dock or whatever, but then she goes back into her memory and she did see him, but I guess pushed him off. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I guess I'm just asking the same thing. Like, do we think that that's just part of the, the alter ego or something that she, I mean, because she had to be conscious enough to go to the place, right? talk to him <clears throat> or make the decision to kill him. Mm-hmm. But then a part of her is not remembering that. And yeah. can I piggyback yeah. on that about that scene? Did he tell her and that broke her? Mm, right. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Like we don't know what that conversation looked like and we've been like waiting to like get that clarity. And maybe again, like maybe she like maybe psychologically she wasn't in a place to like hear that information. Mm. And so like she was still in this like very vulnerable state of like still processing what happened again, like a year after this happened and had to come to it on her own, which she does, but like at the expense of like many other people dying. So intense. Also, Brian, to answer a question, I don't know if you looked it up, but Mildred Pierce was a miniseries, an American drama television miniseries that aired on HBO. Oh, it's also a 1945 American film noir starring Joan Crawford. Wow. I don't know why that's in my head. I have not seen either of those. Um, but I, oh, okay. obviously I am aware of Ms. Pierce. Um, well, Kate Winslet plays Mildred Pierce. Oh, I, she, I she was probably nominated for like a million Emmys and I watch all that stuff. So that's probably why I, what I know it from. And I feel like okay. Mildred, like <laughs> I don't have any older relatives named Mildred. So like I, that's the only Mildred I have a connection to. Oh, yeah. we're we, I think we're an anti-Mildred household. <laughs> That name will not be in the family tree. No. Yeah. If we have a sorry. if we have a daughter, I want her name to be Mildred. No, sorry. Oh, goodness. For all of you Fantastic. named Mildred out there, listen to the podcast. We're just kidding. It's a beautiful name. It's great. You're great. Millie. Millie. Mildred. Millie's a great I nickname. Do like I love names with I like Millie as a nickname. Yep. Okay. I'm rethinking mm, this now. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's better than calling your kid Dread. Dread. Also Dread. <laughs> speaking of... Come here, little Dready. Speaking of Dread, uh, the directors of this were like camera operators or something on the like early 90s Judge Dread movie with uh, Sylvester Stallone. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that's weird that okay right. they're like camera engineers or operators i don't know um anyway uh back to nikisha because i know you have other questions <laughs> well yeah i mean we're you know knee deep into all of the mental health things so one of my questions and you actually answered a lot of them in what you were talking about before but great we see in the beginning that she is in this psych ward and it's because she committed suicide now, my question is... Attempted. Attempted suicide. Yes, sorry. She's still alive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> attempted suicide. What is the proper protocol after someone attempts to commit suicide? Because it's... Is the psych ward? She was in there for a year. And that's how long that the mother and sister have passed. So it seems as though she went immediately into the psych ward after her attempted mm-hmm. suicide. Is that a thing? Are there other proper channels or steps that you are supposed to take 
before that, or was this accurate? Yeah. So <clears throat> I I think that that is pretty spot on. So typically what happens um, at the point, so like <clears throat> in terms of how somebody ends up there, you know, it, it varies, but I would say more often than not at some point, like EMS, EMTs, or police arrive on the scene and would escort somebody to a hospital, like to the emergency room. Mm. Um, a lot of hospitals also have psychiatric emergency rooms and that's most likely where somebody would be, um, like complete their intake and, and be admitted into the hospital. Um, so, uh, if somebody is, um, like before an attempt, if somebody is expressing like suicidal thoughts and a plan and like the means to do so, um, they, they will also probably go through the same steps. Um, but typically they're held for a shorter period of time, like to be observed. Um, so that could be anywhere, anywhere, anywhere from like 24 to 72 hours, typically, unless, Mm. uh, unless the staff continue to have concerns that you are a risk to yourself or others. Um, so like for that time, like, you know, you, you are admitted to the hospital. Um, like typically you don't have access to your, your, phone, like the things that you came in with, um, and you're like meeting with all the hospital staff, a doctor, psychiatrist, social worker, uh, nurse, like all of the above. Um, and so like actually being admitted, um, like, pe- like following a, an attempt, an unsuccessful mm-hmm. attempt. Um, like, I think it, it makes sense that she's there for longer, um, yeah. because, because of like the attempt that she made, but, um, I just, I still find it very interesting that she's there for a whole year. I, I feel like that's less typical. Um, like mm. s- some folks do have like, I would say lengthy stays, but typically maybe that looks more like a month or um, like definitely less than half a year. So, okay. but that's just been, that's like in anecdotes that I'm familiar with. And so like, I'm not speaking to everyone, but in terms of like, you know, her being admitted to the hospital and like being in a specific unit. Yes, that's real. The way the unit looked with those like weird locked doors with the tiny glass windows, maybe not so much, but I feel like that's, you know, par for the course when it comes to like literally every movie and TV show that features some kind of psychiatric hospital. And also I think that is more akin to like when we think of institutionalizing people like Mm -hmm. in the past, like that, that is way more of like, not very, uh, like human centered and and focused. Um, that's, that is like part of our history, which is like terrifying. But, um, I think, I don't think that most hospitals look like that currently. Um, but there's still like mechanisms to, you know, keep people safe and, be able to like observe people like it is a hospital. And so like in terms of, and, and it's a psychiatric unit. So in terms of like privacy and, um, you know, having that space to yourself there, mm-hmm. there frankly isn't really that much because like, that's not what the intention is. Um, yeah. unfortunately, but like the reality is that like they're there again, like 
in, in theory, I know that like not all hospitals treat people well. And like, that is the reality of like the system that we're in, but like Mm -hmm. the theory is, you know, the staff is, is there so that they're able to like observe folks, make sure that they're safe and not causing harm to themselves or anybody else. Absolutely. Yeah. I was, I was wondering about that, especially in a teenage psych ward, or I guess it would be broken up into age or does it not matter? Um, it would be broken up into age for minors and then adults. So if it's, if they're under the age of 18, typically they have a, they would call it like a child psychiatric unit. Um, Mm -hmm. even if you're like 17 years old, like you're still considered a child. Um, and so they, they do separate it by children and adults. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you already talked a little bit about this, but I just want to confirm because when she's having not necessarily the dreams, but when she is fully awake and seeing all of these images of death and her mother and all of those things, are we to believe that those are more on the dissociative episode side of things? I know you had mentioned her maybe being a combination of having, you know, dissociative episodes and, and, um, what was the second thing you said? Uh, um, like symptoms of schizophrenia. schizophrenia. I, yes. I think on. that it's more the latter. Like like uh, the main features of schizophrenia are hallucinations and delusions. So I think that okay. like when she's seeing these visions of her mom or of her, of that guy. Um, I think that's, I think those are hallucinations, but I think the thing with the guy is interesting because like, again, she, she did see him and then doesn't remember it until later. Like Mm -hmm. when she was having those visions, was that actively happening when she was like actually there with him and like threw him over that hill? Or was she, was this really after the fact and she like returned home and like was in her bed and then had those hallucinations? Like, I don't really know. And I, I have a hard time differentiating between like like sleeping and awake because like there's a lot of things that are happening in her bedroom when she's like on the verge of being asleep or like just woke up. And I'm wondering like, are these nightmares or is she awake and having hallucinations? And I can't really tell. Uh, That's a great, that's a great point. I want to go on the air on the side with you of having the dreams in the bedroom. It's at least for this specific scene situation, that would make sense that she did the deed, went to sleep, and then had that kind of dream about it mm-hmm. and then had that uh, nightmare. So then if we're talking about schizophrenia, then what's the difference between the dissociative thing that you were talking about earlier, the DI? DID. Yeah, dissociative DID. identity disorder is is what was formerly known as multiple personality disorder, um, which is having like a like distinct separate uh personality state or alter. Um, and there's a, there is like a lot of, uh, memory loss associated with it too. So again, like there, like there's so many things going on in this movie that it's, it's hard to know. And it's, it's funny too, because like when you're, when you're meeting with somebody, part of what they teach you in school is how to like accurately diagnose somebody. And they, mm-hmm. they call the process like a differential diagnosis because like there's all these different, like we talk about the DSM, there's all these different disorders that yeah. exist and we have all this information, but sometimes it's really hard to suss out specifically like, okay, what, like they're presenting with this, this, and this, there's some overlap with some of these diagnoses. How do we know that like 
it's this versus that. How do we know that like yeah. maybe this is causing that or vice versa? So it can get really complicated. Um, and they're really throwing like a ton of stuff at us in this movie. <laughs> yes. So I can't tell, like, is the memory stuff because of trauma, which again, makes a lot of sense. Or is the memory stuff because of disassociative identity disorder where like mm-hmm. if she's going into and like if she's if she is her sister as an alter let's say that's where what they're posing then like she doesn't remember like you know being herself in that moment because she's not she is this alter right. so like that would also potentially explain gaps in time that she can't remember um so like there's like a ton going on and and I you know I don't envy her psychiatrist who would probably have a really hard time figuring out exactly what's going on. I don't envy him anyway, because he did a bad job. (laughs) Yeah. So did she, so was she set up for, you mentioned all the triggers that she probably had Mm -hmm. when she got home. Was she set up for success? um, Or did we not see enough from the adult perspective in this movie to know if they were prepped, if they were like, if things were kind of laid Mm -hmm. out for them, because we talked about bad dad syndrome earlier where Mm -hmm. like, as soon as he saw like weird things with her or questionable things, um, should he have called the doctor immediately? Should she at home have been having sessions with the doctor like every so often? Why? Again, I don't know how long this takes place over the course of like, I didn't track that, like a week, a month or whatever. So like, like from what we saw in this, was she set up for success to acclimate back to um, a life in which she could thrive or start to thrive? Yeah. I mean, I don't think so. I think, so there's a whole department in like every hospital and, and like every, like all these units that exist, that's called the discharge planning department. Like that's Mm. literally their job is to, is to facilitate a successful discharge for like every client and patient, um, that has been under their care. And, part of that is like, are you going to like, they come up with a plan and it's like, where are you staying? Um, like who's going to be helping take care of you? Um, are you going to like continue with what they would call like outpatient therapy? So like therapy outside of the hospital, um, are you, are you on any medications? Like how do we make sure that you continue to get your medications? Mm -hmm. Um, like, is there any other type of support that you would need outside of here? Like be connected with the social worker or like a case manager or somebody else who's like also able to provide support and like, seemingly she gets discharged from this hospital and like, it's like a full cutoff and like nothing ever happens, even though they reference the doctor, but it almost feels like they reference the doctor as a threat, which I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like this guy has been taking care of her for a year. And then the, his name being brought up is suddenly like something bad. Like then Mm. what, (laughs) like it totally undermines everything that he might've even done for her, which is wild. He seems like a good dude at the very beginning where he's like, he kind of really sets expectations. Well, I love the line in this movie where he's like, she's like, will I ever understand my dreams? And he's like, maybe you will, maybe you won't. Like we might not figure it out. And I was like, what good expectation setting? Like even after 10 months or a year, I was like, 
I will honestly at the beginning of this movie because I've just learned so much from this podcast and Jamie and and you Nikisha just from like acting choices and stuff like that especially as like side characters and things like I was like yeah. what a good way to you're presenting the psychiatrist the psych, the psychologist whatever whatever he is um as somebody who is caring who's really trying to help um who like sets expectation and boundaries and then he's used as a threat yeah. the rest of the movie that was really yeah. disappointing to me especially like yeah. like that was wild it's 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 so infuriating and so no i don't think that she was set up for success and just like dumped on the street and then you know good luck and hopefully we'll never see you again and and, and is that is happened. not the case yeah yes. huh. that yeah that is intense. I didn't even think about it in that way of him bringing brought up as a threat, but that's so true. But he was literally just there trying to help her, so, and mm-hmm. this is what happens when you don't get the help that you need. So I want to I want to switch gears a little bit because um, I always find movies like this fascinating from an acting perspective. Um, so Nikisha, when you when you get a script and you read it, and I understand mm-hmm. that theatrical acting um, and Film acting is very different in just from the concept of like in on stage, you are you you are going through the lifespan of the character, not necessarily in order, but you're going through all the motions mm-hmm. like in the span of two hours, like real time versus a movie where obviously things are being edited together, all that fun stuff. So I, I, I asked this right. question knowing that my question for you is when you get a script or you read something or you see something with an unreliable narrator. And obviously Mm -hmm. the editing is doing some of the work and the acting is doing some of the work and the script is doing some of the work Um, because you, because as an audience member, you're being blocked from knowing the full story uh, for narrative purposes and for surprises and twists and things of that nature. But when you get a script or, or if you got a script where you were playing a character who has an inner life uh, has a way that they see themselves or a way that other people see them, how do you balance all of that? with the intention of the movie of trying to hide some things and revealing it later on. Like, like, can you talk a little bit about that process or, or just balancing that? Yeah. And I I will say that I have never been in the situation where I had to be an unreliable narrator, but if I had to take a guess at, at how I would just do it, I would first say that it's definitely a conversation that needs to be had with your director as how he wants it to be portrayed because if you are playing a through line character, you know, and you have all of the information, of course, that's something that is going to be kept from the very start within yourself, even though the audience doesn't know, or the, the script doesn't share all of that. There's still something in the back of your mind that, you know, so for me, I would absolutely still play it in the sense of knowing what's going to happen at the end, because that's also a part of it. And I want to reference, and I'm going to spoiler alert for the good place. If you have not seen that TV show, but I think that's a great example of an unreliable narrator because there's a twist that happens at the end and what happened when they were filming it. And this is a TV show they did not tell the actors what the twist was. Only the narrator was the one who knew what was going on. And so 
the actors didn't even have the chance to play that they, you know, they couldn't even in any sense give away what the information was because they didn't know what it was. And so it was even more of a shock when they got the script that revealed mm-hmm. the twist on that day. Hmm. Um, so I think it's it's an interesting thing. If if I had to play the unreal, all that to say, if I had to play the the narrator in that sense, you always have that within you because that's a sense of yourself. And I think it just adds to the acting of you really honing in on being the one that's out of the know when you are in the know. Um, and with this movie in particular, I think it's when we have the conversations of, about is she really forgetting things or is she not, does she have the motive within her? Does she not Mm -hmm. that I think she does a good job of this because we are having these conversations because we are not fully aware. Cause even watching it the second time, I was trying to see if there were any moments Mm. where I could see her kind of like, have a little smirk or, you know, body language that would suggest that she is in full control of knowing what is going to happen at the end. But I think it's what Jamie was talking about with all of the combination of mental illnesses that she might have where there is actual forgetting and there is moments of maybe having an alter and all that stuff and figuring out that stuff in the moment. So, yeah, I think in this one she does do a good job of of hiding it because there is no giveaway. But then there are some shows and some movies where there is the person that kind of gives it away a little bit because they do know what's happening. So I think it all just depends on what the direction of the particular show or or play is that mm. says you can give a little bit to let them know that you know something is up or we're completely erasing it and you won't know anything until the very, very end. Um, And with that, actually, that leads me to the question for you, Brian, about... A question for me? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just, I mean, with your vast, like, movie knowledge and, you know, how in-depth you are about how the cinematography of things, how things are directed and filmed... So with Alex being the character that is actually not around and she's having to play that kind of thing of like she's not giving it away because she thinks that she is alive or whatever we think that she is, if she's the altar of honor or, you know, however. How do you feel about those scenes? Did did you buy into it? Like I know you talked about the bad dad uh syndrome because he wasn't listening (laughs) to her. But like after you found out the twist, were you like, oh, well then that makes sense, the interactions before, or did they do a good job of just kind of like lending itself to having Alex being actually there, specifically with how the scenes were set Mm -hmm. up when she was talking to the dad or, you know, when she was standing in the funeral next to her sister Mm -hmm. and all that stuff like that. How do you feel about that? Yeah. So I... I'm going to give a bad answer. I don't know because I wasn't looking for it. Like it was my first time watching it. So I was fooled by it. I definitely was. I'm a little embarrassed. I was fooled by it because the scene where she's yelling at her dad and he's not even reacting to his daughter is so obvious. (laughs) <laughs> like and 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 that and also I bad dad syndrome. I actually think that this movie was a combination of bad dad syndrome and like um bad explanation syndrome or over emotional mm-hmm. syndrome where when 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 
the daughter, not Alex, the main character daughter is yelling at the dad about how she thinks that the wife is this, the wife is, the, or the, the, the Elizabeth Banks mm-hmm. character is this, is that. She doesn't cite any of her discoveries. So I'm telling Jamie, who knows the ending next to me, he's like, why isn't she talking about the fact that she found all this information out? Why isn't she like giving yeah. him the hard evidence? I was, was so mad. I was so mad. I was just like, he was me. I was, I was like, I was like, <laughs> she called this place. She found this information out. Like if I were going, right. if, if I were, if I wasn't having any kind of psychotic break, which I understand now is what was happening behind the scenes, I would have been like, listen, dad, like I found these five things out. We should be careful. Um, There's a possibility that she did this, but she just like has these, like she's yelling at him about like what she discovered or who the person is without giving, like, I I just wanted more of a conversation. Whereas, but then the bad dad syndrome is he's not asking her any questions about it. And like, because because he knows something we don't, which is like she is going to have a hard time adapting. And he also is bad dad syndrome because one, they yeah. bring her back to the same house this happened and he rebuilt the back house. Weird. Two, Hated it. She's mm. there. The, the the new stepmom, the new uh, girlfriend is there when he says she wouldn't necessarily be there, even though I think he meant the car ride in the pickup. Like all of that. <clears throat> I'm also of the thing where if you have, if you already have children that you have a good relationship with or a relationship with and you are bringing somebody new into their lives, whether it's a stepmom or something else, I mm-hmm. I truly believe that you are a family. It's not just the two of you. It's the three of you, the four of you, the five of you. There needs to be bigger conversations in terms of what that means for the family dynamic. And the dad can do whatever he wants. He's a grown man. He can, you know, the, I mean, he's, he's, he's bad dad syndrome, but like, he, I just think that he needed to have a conversation with her. I know it's tricky in this situation because she's away. It may be triggering. He's nervous about bringing it up. But then, like, she's just there anyway. I just think conversations need to right. be had. Even if you have two very well-adjusted children with no trauma that is deeply rooted into their familial history, I think you should be having conversations like, hey, I know your mother's been gone for – X amount of years, but I really feel a connection with this person. I hope you like them too. Um, I'm looking to um, potentially get married again, and I would love for you two to be a part of that love. She's not replacing your mother. She is just another chapter in my life, and I won't – like like conversations like that should absolutely 100% happen before you're just like, you're not wearing your ring. Oh, because we're going to get married. You know, like I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, I agree with that. I, that was one of the main things that I was just like, why are we not having these conversations? Because even though he is a grown ass man, he can do whatever he wants. You still are responsible for totally. these kids. And that's going to be a part of the family dynamic. So they should have a say. I mean, you would also want would want to try to find someone, another partner who would your kids would get along with. Like, why mm-hmm. would you just ignore what they think about this person completely? Yeah. You know, yep. also total overreaction to the roast hitting the floor. Oh my God. <laughs> but how did it hit the floor? I've never seen a cutting board that has like nails in it. Like the Ooh. cutting board that she puts the roast into is like spiky. How are you going to have a spiky yeah. cutting board and that not be a weapon? <laughs> also, that wasn't enough roast for all those people. Agreed. It was a lot of people. It's, I mean, also the just how they had the Elizabeth Bank character being shady anyway. Yeah. And then that just like 
begs the question though, was that just Anna's perception of her or was she actually being just like shady? And why would you even tell random side note and then we can move on. But why would, when they're sitting at the diner and they're eating and she's like, yeah, I was wiping up people's like asses for the rest of my life. And I just was thinking to myself, I'm waiting for them to die. Like, so going, why would you say that? (laughs) Going back to actually, you know what? That's a really good point. Going back to your director comment. I think that that's Mm -hmm. bad direction. I think that character was Mm -hmm. deeply inconsistent and used solely as a red herring. I think that, I Mm -hmm. think that this movie is better if you give more consistency to that Rachel character so that you're not sure which way to go because it's laid on so thick that she did these things, I would have found this movie Mm -hmm. with more layers more interesting if she was disgruntled with her job and she's super happy she found this. She's in a really nice relationship with the father. Sure, it started out really in in a not ideal way and I'm not excusing their behavior, but... I just think that there's more – it's a more interesting film if she's played consistent throughout. And maybe she does have temper issues. Like, you know, she – they talk about the fact that she potentially – that she had – there was DV in her life. So she had to – domestic violence. So she right. had to change her name for that, which is like – just slipped in that piece of information, which I hated. Yeah, she also could have gotten married and like kept the last. Like, there's a lot of different things that it didn't have to be like an ex boyfriend who was meanie. Um, so like, yeah. Uh, yeah so I, I'm totally with you, Nikisha, on that. To answer your question way too late, I think that was the flaw in the direction, <laughs> not necessarily how Got the it. rest of it was portrayed, because that throws a lot of things off. But um, I do want to hear what your Rotten Tomatoes guesses are. So uh, let's get into it. What do you think this is rated on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, well, as when I was looking at the South Korean wiki page, they were saying that, you know, that was a really high grossing movie and the remake was came into mixed negative reviews. So hmm. I'm going to give it like a 40. Jamie? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say like a 46. Uh, okay, this has a 32. You guys were close-ish. The Uninvited is moody and reasonably involving, but suffers from predictable plot twists. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think it was predictable. I think (laughs) that it was, it was, it suffers from like inconsistent storytelling outside of the fact that like the story is about inconsistent storytelling. Is that too much of a paradox? Mm. Hmm. No, but that, I mean, that makes sense. I don't know. I, yeah, it, I, I just need to watch the South Korean one, but yeah, <laughs> All right, let's- I just love the concept of this. Yeah. Though. Like mm-hmm. the idea of it, the twist of it, like even if, however it was executed, I just really was here for the concept. I actually have more appreciation <laughs> mm-hmm. for this concept and this plot having just talked about it with you two. I don't, I, it didn't make the movie yeah. better, but it made my appreciation of all of this better. And I'm excited in a couple of months to potentially watch the other one when I've forgotten a little bit of the details, not the, not the twist, but the details. Um, definitely excited yeah. to dig into that. But on that note, let's quickly do the four S's. Yes. Skull, scare, shakes, and suggestions. The talking horns, four S's. 
<laughs> okay, so those stand for uh, scares, no, skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions, <laughs> one through ten. Nikisha, let's start with you. Skulls, how do you think that this dealt with mental beha- uh, 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 human behavior and mental health? So I'm going to give this a five only because even though there was a lot of things happening, there was a lot of things happening. (laughs) So uh, even though it was all all over the place, I think us just having this conversation and talking about different diagnosis and such, I would give it a five because we were able to have these conversations. Jamie? Um, I think I'm going to give it like a 2.5. Cause I think again, like there's some things that they like start off right. And then it kind of all turns into shenanigans, um, and is no longer sensical. Uh, I'm going to go with a three. Um, I was gonna give it higher until we talked about the therapist being the threat and that, that really bummed me out. Oh Mm. man. Uh, Yeah. uh, Nikisha, what are scares? Did this scare you at all? Did anything get you in this? I'll give it a one. It wasn't scary. Sure. Jamie? Yeah, a one. Not not scary. Yeah, I'm going to give it a one. It wasn't scary. I think it made... Hey, you jump. You jump. Yeah, I give it one for the one time I jumped. <laughs> for the one jump. <laughs> uh, shakes. We'll be able to shake this off. Is this one that stays with you? Uh, Nikisha? I'm going to give it a five because I just really like the twist and the concept, and that's what stays with me, and that's what allows me to suggest it to other people. Jamie? Um, I'll give it a three because I have remembered this movie, uh, the many times that I've seen it. So it's not totally fading away. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a five because I dug the concept. My, our conversation, the concept was really fun. And then, uh, I'm excited to watch the original. So that's why I'm giving it a five. Um, and then suggestions. What else would you suggest with this movie? Uh, Nikisha. Ugh, I'm really terrible. I don't have any suggestion. I would just suggest watching the OG Korean sure. <laughs> movie. Jamie? Um, I have two, but one I think has been suggested before for something else. But um, if you want to go with like the mental health aspect, I would recommend Shutter Island. Um, mm. If you want to go with like if there actually is somebody evil who enters your home and and – is scary. Um, the stepfather, um, which is the one that I've seen is the remake of the original, like 1987 one. But, uh, the one I've seen is 2009 with a pen, pen, Bagley. How do you say, I don't know how you say his last name. Not sure. Um, uh, and Amber Heard apparently is in that movie too, which, hmm. uh, I'm going to go with the, uh, Christian Bale movie, the machinist, uh, I'm not going to say any more than that because mm. uh, I would, you know, it's the one nice. where he lost like all of that weight. 120 yeah, like, pounds or something like, insane. He's, like, literally, Post-Batman uh, weight. Yeah, yes. or he's like a skeleton. Yes. Or I think it was pre-Batman because he had to put on the, the muscle for Batman. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah it was in that, that order. So I would suggest uh, that one. Um, cool. Nikisha, take it away. Fantastic. Well, that is it for The Uninvited. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. You can follow us on all social medias, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at TalkHorrorPod, P-O-D. And Brian, where can they listen to us? Wherever you get podcasts. So that's like Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us there. Five stars, please. 
And thank thank you. you. And we are signing off saying stay away from the booty juice. (laughs) Also, why was this movie called The Uninvited? Like, who's uninvited? The ghosts? The things in her head? The, like, like, Rachel? The stepmom? I don't know. That's my final thought on this. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Thank you. Bye.